and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages to the Winners Coming Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Razor, and I'm here with Isis, Corey Smith, and Corey Bone, and we're here to talk about Game of Thrones episode 802, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Um, Corey Smith, when we were talking about titles for season 8, this wasn't even one that crossed my mind. This was out of left field, and it was a good left field. How did you feel about that title? I liked it a lot. Um, you know, it, it ties in, obviously, to Martin's, what do we call them, prequel no- novellas that he's written. Um, yeah, the Duncan, Duncan Egg books, yeah. Yeah, Adventures of Duncan Eggs. Uh, they got collected, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago into a, a book called a, a Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Um, and it follows a, a hedge knight named Sir Duncan the Tall, who... Runs into the Targaryens, has all these adventures, eventually becomes Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and Martin has said is an ancestor of Brienne of Tarth. Yep. Um, so that kind of, it was neat how that tied it together. Um, I think that was, was part of it, but I think, I think they were really going for just the general A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms and the, the individual weight that it would have, uh, with Brienne, because I think that was definitely probably, Definitely, probably. Uh, that was the highlight for me of the episode, and I think a lot of other people uh, that was, was Brand being knighted has to be a top ten moment of the series. Um, that was emotional, first of all, because you go from the looks on everybody's faces, and, you know, she's always been picked on. Everybody makes fun of her. She even says it in the opening of the episode to Jamie, are you, here, are you, are you making fun? Okay, what are you doing? Are you gonna, uh, make fun of me or what? You know? And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make fun of you. And, and so, like, she's always been made fun of because she's too tall. She looks like a man. She kicked the hound's ass. She's, you know, in the books, she's explained, she's described as having buck teeth and looks like a horse's face. Like, they're really not kind to her in the books. And, uh, Gwendolyn Christie is absolutely stunning. She's beautiful, but she plays Brianna Tarth very well. And for her to be knighted finally on the eve of what could possibly, could possibly, I can't talk, possibly be her last night on the show, which probably won't be, but it could be, was very important and uh, very poignant. And, and, uh, Isis, we're going to talk about, um, Arya and Gendry here in a little bit, so I want you to get revved up for that. But, um, Corey Smith, you got me on a, um, a book track really quick, so excuse me, guys, while I nerd out. Um, a Night of the Seven Kingdoms, as Corey Smith already said, is a George R. R. Martin uh, group of no- novella stories by Duncan Mattal, but what he didn't say was he goes around with a little squire named Egg. Egg eventually becomes Aegon V, uh, uh, a, king, uh, a king. And um, on the show, Jon Snow becomes Aegon VI, so there's your, your tie there. Aegon V had a son named Duncan Targaryen. Duncan Targaryen was going to be the the next king, but he married Jenny from Old Stones. That's what the song's about, Jenny of Old Stones. Duncan Targaryen married Jenny, and and Aegon wanted to set aside the marriage because he was supposed to marry Lionel Baratheon's daughter for a, politi- a political marriage. Well, he didn't. So because he did that, the crown then went to Duncan's little brother Jaehaerys, Jaehaerys II. Jaehaerys was the father of King Ares, the Mad King, and Rayla. Ares and Rayla got married and had Daenerys, Rhaegar, and 
um, the series. And then, of course, as you know, John came from Rhaegar. So there's another great connection to Jenny of Oldstones. Without Jenny of Oldstones, there would be no John Snow or Aegon Targaryen, six of his name. Anyway, sorry, I had to, had to geek out there for a moment, but uh, Isis, I know you got thoughts about Brienne being knighted, so lay me out there, and then let's go right into Gendry and Arya's flirting and eventual sexual escapade. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know about everybody else, but for me, um, seeing seeing her knighted was a very emotional moment for me uh i watched it i watched it the night of probably about three times and i cried every time um you know not like i mean okay the first time was ugly crying but the the other times were just tears um and and it's because i love the fact that we have seen this journey happen with brianne's character where she was mocked and made fun of and really only had one person who believed in her and you know she went through so much shit and and she's still the same person she has always been the entire time an honorable you know person who can fight well and has a heart and it just it's so great to see when when those characters actually win and <laughs> something really good happens to them um and so to me it was a very emotional moment i'm not going to lie tormund is you know he is that guy at that party that you just go Guys, he's not always like this. You know, like, I know he's really strange right now, but he isn't always like that. But you know what? He's feminist as fuck, and I am here for it. So If I was king, I would knight you ten times over. I mean, I mean, how, how again, another fucking classic moment from Tormund um, that he brings a, a levity to a moment, and, and it just, I mean, it, it was just a perfect moment of all of them being there um you know all sharing partaking in this moment and then to see her knighted um with the biggest grin on her face that i think that she's ever had on the show um and maybe one other time that she had a really big smile but that smile was just it 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 lit up the entire dark room that they were in and you know to me it was it was probably one of the best moments um, or at least top five in Game of Thrones. I would agree. Tori Phone, um, Brienne's one of those characters who hasn't changed her entire arc on the show. There's not a lot of characters who've done that. Um, maybe John, but even John, after he died, left the Night's Watch and became a different person. He's still honorable, but he's kind of different now. Would you say Brienne is probably one of the only characters who stayed true to her arc the entire time? I don't know if that's sorry. That was my attempt at an Allison Bree squeak from the community. <laughs> I, it's a good question. I mean, yes, and I mean, I get what you're saying. She's kind of had the same vibe going the whole time, and yet hasn't been one dimensional. She's been very, uh, I don't know. She's empathetic. She's a warrior. You know, we've learned so much about her. She's a survivor. You know all these things about her character and her, you know, the way she's developed and everything. So in that regard, I think there might not be a character that's been as, <clears throat> excuse me, as one note while Steady. also being, 
steady, yeah, while also actually developing. Because, I mean, you have characters like, I don't know, Ed. Ed's been the same basically the whole time, right? Or, you know, I mean, and that's, that's fine. I mean, not everybody can have a huge arc like that. Um, you know, even characters like Tormund and stuff, their development has been more interpersonal, uh, or whatever. Yeah, not, um, internal. So she's had a real internal battle the whole time that, that she has talked about with very few people, Jamie being one of the few where like, you know, she has these walls up all the time. She's very defensive because of her size and everything. And to, you know, see her finally open up and put her trust in someone and to get knighted and to have a, every, the whole room full of her peers, you know, well, not really her, her peers in the sense that they're all like, wealthy the one percent of wealth of except for Tormund. <laughs> to have them to have them all like clapping and the first person to start clapping to be Tormund was great he's such a fanboy but uh it, i mean john like you said has had the kind of all the starks have had this kind of honor bound thing to them but yeah i get what you're saying about brianna uh i think i talked myself into agreeing with you which is rare i know i love it i'm really on board with this um you know, uh, I, like I keep saying, I keep told, I told Isis before we started this podcast, I wanted to go straight into the Arya and Gendry stuff, but, uh, I want to explore some more of this Brienne moment. Corey Smith, um, you know, um, Corey Thong kind of hit on, kind of, kind of hit on a topic that I, I, I think he's right. Her peers were in there. Warriors of the Seven Kingdoms were in there. Fighters. Even Tyrion has done his share of fighting, um, even though he got dressed down by Danny, and we can talk about that later at the War Room meeting. But um, I think that uh, it was very important for her, not only A, to be knighted by Jaime, but to have warriors like Tormund there, a strategist like uh, Davos. Um, you know, it was, it was, and then of course her own squire, Pod. Um, and that look, what I really like, and what I, what I want you to talk about is that look that Pod gave her whenever Tyrion asked her if she wanted to be a knight or if it was Tormund that asked her if she wanted to be a knight. She's like, no, I don't want to be a knight. And that look he gave her was like, yeah, bullshit. I don't believe you. Like, uh, it was good, right? Yeah, I mean, she was, she was clearly, that was a defense mechanism, you know, and she, she's always got her defenses up. Because she's been ridiculed her entire life. Um, and they, you know, they detail that even more painfully in the books, um, where they have a contest, uh, in Renly Baratheon's camp to see who can sleep with her, uh, first. And, mm-hmm. um, so she's always had people giving her shit about who she is. Um, and so, yeah, when Jamie says that, she's like, no, I don't want to be a knight. It's cool. Like, but Podrick is like, Bitch, please. You know you want to be a knight. You know you want that more than basically anything um, other than probably the respect of the people in that room. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I mean, once she kind of... You saw that look in her face, and and Gwendolyn Christie called this her favorite scene, like the scene she's most proud of on, on the series, because you saw that, and she should be proud of it, because he saw that look of once she realized this is actually going to happen, you know, she let her defenses down and she really, um, you know, it was this big deal for her because it's something she's fought for her whole life, you know, physically, I mean, literally and figuratively 
And so to see the emotions on her face, I mean, she really just freaking killed that scene. So, yeah. And that's a a huge statement coming from an actress who's played a character who, number one, she beat Loras Tyrell in a tournament to become one of the Kingsguard for Renly Baratheon. She was a female Kingsguard for Renly Baratheon. She then pledged an oath of fealty to Lady Catelyn Stark to get her her daughters back, which... She got Sansa back, and, you know, she almost got Arya back one time. She beat the Hound in one-on-one combat in one of the most brutal one-on-one battles we've ever seen on the show, still to date. And, and, you know, she's done things like she executed Stannis Baratheon. It might have been off screen, but she still walked up to him, drew her sword, asked him if he had actually killed his brother, and then executing him. She's had some pretty goddamn big moments on this show, and for that to be her best one, I I love it. I love that that's her favorite moment. Yeah, um, I mean, the only other one I compare it to is when she rescues Sansa, and and Sansa actually accepts her into her service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She has she she kind of had a similar look then. It was kind of just it was like a mixture of relief and kind of joy that she was actually being able to fulfill her oath. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely, she's had some huge moments on the show. So yeah, for her to say that is, is absolutely, you know, a big deal. All right. Let's get to on Aria and Gendry. What are we calling it on Twitter? Uh, Isis, is it Gendaria? Andre? What is, what are they calling it? I think they're saying, um, our girl gets some, okay? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, so, I don't know about you guys, but some of that flirting that was happening, um, you know, it, it, it was really, for me, I don't know if it was just, it seemed a little awkward, like, you know, she's trying to flirt, but she's not really doing a great job, and, um, you know, and then if Gendry's still kind of treating her like, Hey, you know, you really don't want to be part of this. You know, you want to go down, down to the crypts and, and all of that. And, and, you know, she, she really had to kind of, you know, show, Hey, you know what? I've seen death and it has many faces. And what she's doing with the weapons is just absolutely spectacular. Basically, you know, telling him like, yeah, I, thanks for the input, but I really don't need it. And, um, so I really, and I think he was really impressed. I mean, he may even had a semi, but, um, but I, I really do generally think he was impressed, but her eye flirting game, I know she's been out of the game for, you know, she hasn't been in the game. So, you know, maybe she needs some work. Maybe that's something Sansa could talk about to her when they're braiding hair. I don't know. Uh, maybe actually Danny would probably be more appropriate, but, uh, but, but yeah, it, it just, it was seemed, it, that part came off as a little weird, um, but it's almost kind of expected because, she, I mean, while she was killing people and marking people off her list, she wasn't really flirting a whole lot, so I'm going to give Homegirl a pass. But what I absolutely loved about this, about Gendry and Arya getting together is this, and I know a lot of people on the internet on the internet, we're having issues because, oh my God, it's like watching my sister, you know, I've watched her grow up and stuff like that. You know, how, and I even saw some memes about like people, let me Google how old she is because so that way I don't feel bad. You know what? <laughs> All you assholes, 
fuck you, okay? Because let me tell you, I think that really was a, a really I mean, she was owning her her womanhood, her own life, knowing that her life could possibly end the next morning, you know, fighting the whites. And another thing, I mean, let's be honest, Arya was already I fucking Gendry a long time ago when they got caught together and they were in the um they were in that castle and she was like, mm, yeah, she was looking at him like a whole fucking snack. And I I am here for it. Um Yeah, so- but you know what? It's what's really bad is this. Okay, I feel I okay, I kind of feel that a little bit. It's kind of weird Watching, she was ten years old when she started this 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 trip on Game of Thrones, right? So we've been watching her since she was ten years old, right? And now she's twenty two. And the funny thing is, um, Joe Dempsey, who plays Gendry, he's ten years older than she is. So when back in season two, when they were going down the King's Road together, he was twenty and she was ten or eleven. And so now he's in his 30s and she's 22. And he even said, yeah, it was weird for me because she's basically my sister. And Macy Williams, that, you know, I, at first when I saw it, cause you know, the episode leaked early in the day and I watched it like at lunchtime. Um, and I went, that's a body double. That's and not didn't really even Macy. share the link. I didn't even share the link, y'all. <laughs> didn't even share the fucking link. I'm a stingy bastard, but, uh, I, I was like, that's Mace, that's a body double because you know some of the actresses have done that. Um, Lena Look, that he was, did it for Walk of Shame, and that was even, the most tasteful side boob I had ever seen. Just saying, it was definitely it was tasteful. It was tasteful side boob and tasteful uh, top butt. Um, but I can see where people can say, yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little it's a little weird for me, but Look, was, I need was to get it over weird? Yeah, was it weird for I want to ask those people and not to interrupt you, but I have a lot I'm very passionate about this. Was it weird for people to see her fucking t- chop up people and cut them into a pie and put them in a pie? Was it, you know, strange for her to kill all of these people? You know, I don't I didn't remember seeing one time online where anybody had any issues with her going ahead and killing people, but all of a sudden she is a consenting woman who can make her own freaking decisions and oh my god now we're clutching our pearls please please i am not here for that <laughs> i am i am so not here for that and um and i just would like to say that obviously the starks like to be on top because you know uh we've already <laughs> saw that move from from john stark too but again i i just wanted to be very clear that t- to me her um owning her her decisions in her life um knowing that you know what this is an experience that I want to have before I possibly die and she did it she 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 I think that was actually almost more human than she has been the past couple of seasons you know what I mean like I think she's been kind of like I've been I'm this faceless person and you know, I'm on this path, and this is, you know, I got to mark people off my list, and I need. Oh to yeah, that was family. definitely. I I think that's the that, but that's the key thing is that the longer that she is home, the more of Arya Stark we get, and and I'm I'm I love it. I'm here for it. Okay, so I can't ask Corey Smith or Corey Thome this because I can't even answer this question. But during the song, Jenny of Old Stones, was that a look of? 
contentment on her face or a look of, eh. I, uh, well, I, I mean, I any could have been better. Yeah, I think any other, I think Danny probably could have told her, like, girl, your first time is not probably going to be great. Okay, maybe your second and third time. Um, but I will say this, when I saw her look, I was like, that may have not happened if it was pod. Mm. <laughs> I'm just saying. Pod of you, a magic penis. Yeah, you may have picked wrong. And the fact that he can sing, too. I'm going to sashay these panties off. No, I'm uh, just, I mean, seriously, I, I really, I, I really was like, damn, she did have this experience, but probably was not the best one that she was probably going to have. Okay, let's go back to the beginning of the episode and talk about where we started, Jamie Lannister's trial. Corey Thone, hit me with your thoughts on how it went. Did you think that um, Daenerys, like, I'm getting okay. Here's my thing. Before you, before I, I get to the question I have for you, I'm having a problem with how Daenerys is being represented here at, at Winterfell. Like we said this a lot about last episode, she doesn't know how to read a room, and she really, really got on my nerves with when she turned to John after Sansa listened to Brienne and said, "Yeah, okay, he can stay." Danny turned to John and said, "How does the Warden of the North feel about it?" That really bothered me. Like. She just kind of hit home to everybody at Winterfell. Hey, I'm your queen. John's not your king. And I know you're pissed about it, but I don't give a fuck. Like, how do, how do you feel that trial went down? I, th- I think it was a, a good example of what you're saying with Danny not getting it. I think, um, I think the whole episode, which by the way, and I, I don't think we even mentioned this up top, we usually just say, hey, how'd you feel about the episode? This was the best episode since season six. I don't think percent agree. I, I don't think that there's been a, an episode that they've allowed themselves because they finally got all the chess pieces where they wanted them, I guess. But they finally just took a step back and looked at the board and said, wow, this is cool. Look at all these people. Maybe, what if we let these characters everybody loves talk for more than 30 seconds and before cutting to the next scene? Anyway, I. The trial went down about how I think we would expect it to because the writers uh, or whatever, the show right now is really emphasizing that Danny doesn't understand diplomacy. She doesn't, like you said, know how to read a room, but that's all part of the diplomatic aspect of things that she was never trained in. And the only people around her that even have some idea of diplomacy, guys like Tyrion, are not the best at diplomacy either they've always been at their best when they're sneaking around and and scheming right yeah yeah what what she doesn't have what she never had was someone to teach like this is how you host (laughs) this is how you and they'll welcome people this is how you run a you know uh, a council like that uh, which uh, that makeshift trial you know Sansa got a, or excuse me, Danny got a first row look at something that she hasn't had, I guess, outside of Jorah and maybe Dario. I mean, is someone like Brienne that Sansa trusts wholeheartedly, right? right? That is from a different place. She's part of the North, but not, you know, like it's just 
The same thing happened with Theon later in the episode. Sansa, or I keep saying Sansa. Danny was front row for Sansa, you know, greeting Theon and, you know, Danny getting this like, wow, the, these people have, while I was overseas doing my thing, they were over here doing their thing. And not to mention that this is their home. I am truly by definition an invading force. Right. And she doesn't seem to understand that. And it's starting to wear on fans because I feel like someone would have grabbed her and said, hey, you have to understand you have a foreign army outside their doors and you haven't started attacking them. But your dad did. And they are not trusting of you. And you need to be softer. In everything you do, like when she talked to Santa, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, you know, we saw a side of Danny, an ability she had to connect with someone that we haven't seen in quite some time. Yeah, you know, the only person I think that would make a difference right now, and Jorah, Jorah kind of reined her in a little bit, right? That's the only reason she went and talked to Sansa, is Jorah, and he saved Tyrion's job, basically. But, um... Jorah is kind of the only person she has. That's her, that's her Brienne. But had the show not killed off Barristan, Selmy, in season five, he would be with her and everything would be okay. Am I right, Coy Smith? Well, sort of. I, I mean, yes, they, them killing off Barristan is still a... a Fuck them. Fuck them yeah. for that. <clears throat> still a sore spot. But even with even with Jorah and Sir Barristan, there's still some level of betrayal there that Sansa never had with Brienne, right? So, I mean, Jorah, I mean, I know she said she forgave him, and that's fine, but, like, and it's in the past, but Sansa's never had any kind of issue with Brienne uh, betraying her in any shape or form. And same thing with Sir Barristan. Sir Barristan, I mean, even... When he first came over there, he served Robert Baratheon after serving her father. So even then, there was some a, a slight level of, you know, maybe he trusted her or maybe she trusted him 95 percent of the way. But Sansa trusts Brienne 100 percent of the way. Right. So I yeah. think Danny was I, I think she's got to be a little bit jealous that that Sansa has someone that she can depend on like that um but also yeah i mean you know circling back to what y'all said i think she needed someone like george to tell her chill out for a second i mean it's it's like at work i mean your boss he has every authority at work to tell you hey do this but if he just walks up to you and says hey um you know because of my position you need to do this you have to listen to me i'm your boss that nobody's going to listen to someone like that right you, get, you have to actually knee, like, bend the knee, bend the knee. right. Hey, I'm your boss. You have to do what I say. Nobody listens. If that's your only reason, you have to build a relationship with these people to get them to listen to you, to follow you, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, in that trial scene, I, I think she kind of gave way. I, I don't think she had much of a choice. I think she realized if she would, you know, she could either just completely ignore everybody in the room and lose the entire room. Or she could yield the point. Um, but I mean, I thought that entire scene was just fantastic. From Jamie's refusal to apologize, which would have been completely out of character, 
You know, I mean, Jamie, he's been humbled, but he's also, you know, he's he's not going to apologize for those things. The only thing I think he would have apologized for is obviously throwing Bran out the window. Um, but the rest of it, and even then, I think you, I think Bran was kind of giving him an out, like you were only protecting your family, et cetera, et cetera. So Bran at least understood to a degree. But I loved everything about that scene from Jamie's refusal to apologize to Brienne. You know, Jamie throwing back Brienne's line that she gave him in season seven um, at the Dragon Pit. You know, yeah. remember when they were leaving? She's like, "Fuck loyalty. This isn't about loyalty. It's about survival." And he kind of says that back to her. Um, you know, obviously those words stayed with him um, and just shows how much. And we'll again, we'll touch on it later, but how much their relationship, how deep it actually is. And I, I even loved Grey Worm when he gave back uh, Jamie his sword. Uh, you know, he kind of hesitated, gave it back to her. And he's just like <laughs> staring down Jamie like, listen, if you try anything at all with Danny. I'll fucking kill you. Like, you know what I mean? Like the older brother who's like, he was, he was definitely on guard. Yeah. He was like, you try anything at all. I don't give a shit. I will fucking murder you. And so I love everything about that from the beginning to the end of that scene. It was a great scene. I think that, um, you know, phone, phone, you hit the point correctly. It, it, they're finally moving the chess pieces and finally allow them to talk, which moves me to my next point. Jamie and Tyrion, well, I don't want to skip ahead. I want to talk about Jamie and Bran in the Godswood. Um, this was a nice scene because it kind of looked like to me when Jamie was walking out to the Godswood, he was kind of looking around like, is this the tower that I pushed him out of? Or what did he land over here? Like, he was kind of looking around over there. Like, it was kind of cool. But, um, Jamie got. Do you think Jamie got what he needed from Bran, Corvon? Uh, well, <laughs> no, I guess. Uh, what he wanted Bran to say was, "I don't remember any of that." So, <laughs> but that's not what he got. What he got was Bran telling him, "You know, I know what you did, and and it, you know." Definitely changed the course of my life, but at this point, there's no point in, you know, dwelling on it. So we need you here to fight. And it was, I think it's just another driving home of the point about the White Walkers and what's coming. And I, I, I think, I think Jamie, I really can't remember exactly what they said to each other, but it kind of felt like Jamie at least felt some closure on the issue. There was a little bit of respect between them. Like they, like it was like, hey, you're not a kid anymore, and I'm not a jackass anymore. So let's be friends, kind of thing. Like, uh, I'm not gonna tell them. I like Brand's line. I well, if I would have told them, they would have murdered you, and you wouldn't have been able to help us. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I kind of like that line. Um, Isis, the conversation between Tyrion and Jaime in the courtyard of Winterfell. Um, Northerners are being real dickheads right now. Like, they're mean to, to Masande and Grey Worm. And we'll talk about that later. But they spit at Tyrion and Jamie. Is it Lannister hate? Or are Northerners just really that, that way? Are they just 
outsiders and they don't want anybody to mess with them? What's going on with Northerners? You know, I really feel like Northerners are like, you're either from the North or you're from somewhere else. You know, you're, you're, you're like beneath us. And, and, you know, okay, fine. That, that's fine if you want to be that way. But I think that they have enough reason to hate the Lannisters. So I don't really have any real problem with the, the, the Northmen, um, not being very excited to see Jamie or to see Tyrion there, um, because of what happened to Ned. Um, you know, I mean, while we saw in earlier seasons a play take place and how the story kind of unfolded, um, you know, because the, the narrative was being told by the Lannisters, the Starks have a different story. Somewhere in the middle, there is some of the truth. But to the north, the, the Lannisters are just absolutely evil. So is uh, I think pretty much everybody's evil. They just don't if you're not Stark, you ain't shit. Um, My God, and, you may, you have a good point there. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that play tells you everything you need to know of what people think of the North, right? Ned Stark was made to look like a big, dumb idiot. In fact, the guy basically said, durr, I just want to be the king, durr, like he was acting like an idiot, right? And so now you get up north, and the Northerners really hate the Lannisters. They're not friendly to Danny's to Danny's army. They just don't like, and I don't really like how they're portrayed. Like every northerner is filthy as fuck, yet everybody that comes up north is clean. Even Jamie, right? He rode the King's Road all the way up to, to Winterfell. The only thing you could say about him was maybe his clothes were a little faded and his hair was a little long. He wasn't dirty. He wasn't this filth bag. But every northerner up there is disgusting. They're like, phone, what did you say the other day? They're a true representation of, me- of medieval Britain or something like that? Yeah, like the medieval, you know, the English, the Western Europeans, whatever, they, a lot of what they did was uh, like livestock, pig in particular, like, like pork, whatever, swine. Uh, they didn't bathe regularly they washed their hands in their face you know after after work i mean they weren't stupid but one of the one some of my favorite you know things when you go read about like some of the things from the first thanksgiving like american history and stuff is just how like gross the native americans thought the the europeans were because they like work and pig shit all day and then just come in and sit down <laughs> and, like, wash their hands just caked and shit, you know. And it was just kind of, yeah, I mean, that's that's just how it was. Remember, these, this is, like, based on the – kind of based on the time frame whenever, you know, the plague would have been a big thing because that was rat, fleas on rats and everything else. It was just – they were pretty gross. And not to mention the, the north, from what I can tell, doesn't have a lot of uh, – Money. It's it's the probably one of the poorer parts that I've seen of, and, and you book guys can back me up on that. I know there's a port city up there that has a mermaid statue that's apparently pretty. Well, White Harbor. Yeah, but outside of that, like most of the castles are pretty, you know, simple. It's farm people, well, not farm, but it's you know that's livestock and grain, and that's about it, and that's what they all do. Yeah, so. they're simple. 
Yeah, they're simple people. And, and I, I mean, I totally get that. But, I mean, you know, where the South probably really shuns them, they, they this is their, their life and this is the way they live. And so they don't think anything probably of it because um, if they did, they would migrate south. Um, but I think that, you know, that's one of the things that's really telling about the north, to to your point, is that, you know, this is the kind of life that they live and, and there's nothing to it. But um, but like I said, if you ain't the north, you ain't shit, you know, to them. And, um, the and north I, I, is literally the south of the United States. <laughs> it could, it, it, the, the parallels could be made. Um, but I really do feel like that they just – they also shun things that they just don't understand. Um, so I, I really feel like that's that's something that they have going for them as far as, you know, um, the, the uh, Masande um, situation and Grey Worm is that they don't they don't really understand that there may even be people that are different color from them. Um, and who knows what, you know, they were told when they were young that, oh, yeah, if you see somebody who's darker colored than you, them, they may be devils or whatever the case may be. You just never know, um, and, you know, how somebody was brought up to believe that people that did not look like them, um, or did not have the same values or what they, they seen, you know, what they, what they've been told. But one thing that I really enjoyed about that whole interaction with Jamie and Tyrion is that when they got to Cersei and when Jamie basically said, Oh, well, you know, Cersei basically manipulates people. And, and I love the fact that Tyrion said, hold on a second. She never manipulated you. You knew who she was the entire time. And I felt like, that was a truth that Jamie needed to own. Nail on the head. Don't don't go ahead and say like, oh well, I was manipulated too. Woe is me, and now I'm on this path of redemption. No asshole. You even said when you were talking um, before that you know you did the things you did for your house and you would not change it. So own it. Own the fact that you knew what Cersei was doing. You even told her the times that it was wrong what she was doing. And she still did it and you still stood next to her and went and did her bidding. So come on. You know, don't 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 start with that. And so I really applaud Tyrion but do you believe, um, for do, making that. Do you that. believe something? I need to ask you a question. I'm sorry. Do you believe Cersei's pregnant? It got brought up again. We talked about this last podcast. Is Cersei I'm, pregnant. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Nope. Not buying it. All right. Anybody else want to weigh in on this? Um, I'm still on the fence. Um, I thought, you know, when, when Jamie said, uh, no, that part's true, Tyrion had, like, he had a little look on his face. And to me, there was something there that e- either there's something else that Cersei told Tyrion um, right, because we kind of got the the revelation of what they talked about uh, during season seven when they cut away, um, where Tyrion reveals that Jamie said or that Cersei said that the baby would be a new start for her, blah 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 blah. And then when he asks her, it's like Tyrion's considering what he's saying, like maybe he still doesn't believe it. So I don't know. I don't know why they're being coy about it though. I mean, they're definitely leaving it. Up to interpretation, I feel like I don't like, feel like just tell us already, right? I don't feel like they're being definitive one way or another, um, and obviously not seeing Cersei this episode at all, and you know most likely not going to see her next episode either. 
Uh, I mean, that's only going to keep the whole debate going longer because we don't have any kind of, you know, we're not getting anything from from that end. So I don't know. I'm still on the fence. I don't know what we're well, going to end I, up I, with. I really feel like that will be the the last betrayal. Is that when, in my opinion, is and it, and that's if he survives, you know, the fight next week. Um, is that when Jamie or Tyrion, one of those two, find out that they get to Cersei, um, because, you know, still going back on whether somebody in her family is going to kill her, um, that whole prophecy thing. And I really feel like that that's going to be the last kind of, you know, she's not pregnant. You go and see her. She's got a flat stomach and she has no child. Um, that that's the, the, the last straw for one of the Lannister men and you know, that she lied. She would even lie about that. Yeah. And I, I mean, to me, I, I think you're definitely hitting the nail on the head because that would kind of be the whole point of her carrying that lie on. Right. You know, and, and leaving it up to debate. Cause otherwise I don't really see why you would leave it up to debate to debate. Like if she's, if she's definitely pregnant and she's definitely going to have the baby, why leave it open to debate? You know what I mean? Why so, show you're on patting her belly and saying he's going to put a prince in her belly? Yeah, exactly. So I feel like Isis is, is, is onto something and that it's going to end up being the final straw, most likely with, with her and Jamie. Um, and yeah, that she would lie even about that, even to Jamie. Um, and yeah, I think that'll end up being the point of it if the baby ends up being fake. Corythone, I have to ask you. Podrick has shown a marked improvement in his uh, combat skills. Yeah. He looks he looks like he's fighting exactly like Brienne taught him in the season seven where right before Arya and Brienne uh, did their little sparring thing. Um, is Podrick going to die? <laughs> yes. 100%. I think, I think Podrick's one of the most likely to die type people. Um. I just because a he's well liked enough that he you know it'll be sad but it's also like he really doesn't contribute much to the story so except he the velvety smooth voice right and the rod so like I really don't think Pod you know has that much left to offer I mean I I would be I mean I would be surprised if Brienne Makes it out of here too because I feel like her arc was super completed last night or not last night Sunday night, and I mean I I I, I would feel satisfied with her character arc if she was to die heroically in this episode. There are people that I I feel like if they did die at the Battle of Winterfell that I I would think they didn't do a great job finishing their story. Tyrion being the biggest one right now because uh, all he's done is is screw up for the past season and a half. And no so, shit, right? so like, I really want him to, to have a redeeming moment, at least if he is going to kick it. So I think, yeah, Brienne and pod have been a great uh, way to have two characters going along. Brienne is obviously the important character there. Pod is a side character to a side character. So I think he's gone. Same with Ed. Ed's been great. But Ed was just a side. Uh, he was he was a side character at least show wise, and and now you know honestly it's like hey look it's that guy that's always around torment. <laughs> so yeah, he's just John's friend. 
Yeah, he's um, John Prince, yeah. Isis, you had something to add to that. Yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to relate it to um, to the new Avengers movie that's kind, kind of coming out, because, you know, I know you guys like to relate shit to Lord of the Rings, which I'm surprised and disappointed that ding, no one ding, said ding, that. Ding, ding, ding. So, um, but I do want to say that, I mean, basically Pod is like the Phil Coulson of the, of the movies of the, uh, oh, of yeah. the Avengers, where, where, where you need to have, you have that character that you absolutely love and, um, really great guy has all these connections with all these characters. So the, the heightened emotions are going to be there. Will the the storyline move on? Will it go unchanged whether he's there or not? Yes, absolutely. But with him being gone, being killed in such a tragic way, uh, just heightens that up even that much more. The Night King is going to stab Pod, and like um, Jon Snow baseball cards are going to come falling out of his pocket. That's an Avengers movie reference, and if you didn't get it, I feel bad for you. All right, um, moving on, let's talk about the big, um, I don't know. It wasn't a really a showdown. It was almost a, uh, bro S down. Danny and Sansa had a come to Relore meeting, and I thought for a minute they were going to be besties. I just continue with what we were talking about earlier. We've got a lot of characters who are coming together, and this episode, this was one of the interactions that made this episode so goddamn good, was that Danny had an honest conversation with Sansa, and it kind of pushed the relationship in the right direction for a moment, only to be yanked back when Sansa reminded Danny of who the North was and what they really want. So how did you feel about that interaction? And are they any closer to an understanding? Maybe they could be frenemies now? Well, I mean, I, I really felt like they can kind once they put their, their baggage to the side and they could just kind of come together in a common, just, just talking, just like two normal gals you know we're gonna braid each other's hair no i'm just kidding uh you know we're just gonna talk about this we're gonna lay it all out on the table not being ugly with each other just having an, an honest frank conversation um you know and, and i would even say personal conversation where it lost its footing is where it got political and sansa was like yeah we said that we were never gonna kneel for another king or queen we, you know, we want to be our own thing. And Danny's like, that's not in my plans. You know, that you're asking me to give you something that I'm not willing to give you. And that's when shit went sideways. That's um, when the eyebrows from Danny the, came into play. Like, oh, you bitch. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was like you were softening me up for the okie doke. And I don't think that actually, you know, Sansa, that was Sansa's plan. I think that was just something that kind of occurred to her of, you know, now we're, now that we're talking, now we're, we're having this conversation, um, you know, being, being the person who she is, is that she's always thinking about her people first. Um, you know, she put that to the side about her family. They had a good conversation about that, you know, even to the point where Danny said, you know, who's manipulating you, you know, I, I love your brother and which I, I, I was like, wow, we're already there. We're already, I, I thought it was just a booty call. I didn't know we were at the love point, but apparently we are. And, oh, yeah. 
And so, you know, I, I really think that really Sansa I can't fault her in anything. I mean, she is she is being completely who she is. She she's thinking about her people. Um, but this is the thing is that I, I would have that conversation after, you know, you are going to have people left at at Winterfell. Uh, All right. I, I, I so really I, felt like it was just very ill placed as far as let's have that conversation. Let, let's put a pin in it. And we'll have this. this. (laughs) Yeah, let's put a pin in this, and we'll talk about this when we get there. But, um, but yeah, it was. I I, again, I I think that their their inability to read a room or read a situation on both Sansa and Danny's part is where they're chucking heads. Oh, I disagree. I think Sansa read the room perfectly. Corey Smith, what do you think? Um, I think there was still a lot of progress made in that conversation. Right. I think they at the very least, I think they began to establish some level of um, not friendship, but relationship beyond just, hey, Danny's the new girlfriend and she's here and she wants to redecorate the house like she, you know, they they actually bonded there for a second over men and over their shared love for John. And I think that there was more progress made than anything and I think it would have been completely unrealistic for them to sit down and hash everything out in one conversation. I agree. You know, they, agree. They, they needed to, they, they began that road. It's going to take a, a few more conversations. Um, yeah, they could have easily just said, Hey, listen, you know, I, I want to start building this relationship you know, as far as the North goes, let's let's talk about that once we survive the Night King. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm glad we had this conversation. Like, Danny could have given a little bit more. Sansa could have done the same. They both could have just said, hey, listen, I'm glad we had this talk. We'll continue to talk about the, the North and after we survive the White Walkers. But I thought it was a great conversation. I, I thought they both gave a little bit. I thought they wow. both were honest. I agree with you. It was a great conversation. Corey Phone, have you ever had a meeting with somebody who's like your boss or maybe your boss's boss? And they clearly they're dressed in the in the like the very expensive suit and you're wearing like your your like polo shirt tucked into your khaki pants, right? And you're talking to them and they put their hand on your shoulder because they're better than you and they want to relate to you that this is a power move and I want you to know that you're my subordinate. I kind of felt that when Danny put her hand on Sansa's hand, it was like, oh, you cute little girl. We can be friends now. Did you get that at all? I get where you're thinking that's coming from, and I think this comes into <laughs> – no, I mean, I'm not trying to make – I think that there's some – I do think there's some validity to – patronizing. It's, it, yeah, I think that the patronizing aspect only comes off because of how the conversation ended. I think – um one of the biggest issues this show is having right now, and I say right now, and it's been accused of this a lot, <laughs> is uh, there. This was a. This was. <laughs> how do I say this? What is so okay? Are you guys familiar with the Bechdel test? Right. Yes, absolutely. Okay. No. So the Bechdel test. The Bechdel test is a test you give movies where, or TV shows, but mostly movies where. If two female characters talk on screen 
at all about anything other than a boy, then it passes the Bechdel test. And you would be shocked how many damn good movies do not pass the Bechdel test. Like right? none of them pass. True. Like True. It's it's depressing. There's actually a really great podcast called the Bechdel Cast, and you can check it out. Uh, it's got Jamie Loftus as one of the hosts. He's one of my favorites. But anyway, uh, it's I feel like Danny talking. If we could get just five minutes ever of her not talking about the goddamn Iron Throne, then this show would pass the Bechdel, the Game of Thrones Bechdel test. <laughs> But they can't do it because that's the only motivation that they have for her until she finally opened up to someone else, to Sansa. And this is what Corey was getting a second ago about how much she cares for John. She loves John. And she, you know, is like, I'm fighting his war right now. Who manipulated who? Like, that was really funny. That was a good moment. Someone taller. That was a good moment. She's connecting with Sansa, right? She's doing those things. The hand touch may have felt patronizing to you, maybe to me, because I, I kind of thought it was odd, but that's not how they wrote it. They wrote it as this was a nice moment because they were bonding, and they're ladies, so they're going to hold hands. See, and, and Isis just coming in the chat, like she didn't find it as patronizing as you did, David. So, and I'll, let, I'll obviously let Isis, after the man's speaking, I'll let Isis talk. I, it's not how I meant to sound. I, <laughs> I'll Thanks go, for explaining what the Bechtel test is, by the exactly. way. Exactly. Well, I had to because Smith didn't know. Uh, but there was <laughs> there was uh, a moment there that I felt as I watched it was only patronizing in in hindsight because she pretty clearly was only going down there to talk to Sansa to try to make it easier for her to rule. And not at, to not to actually, yeah, not to actually connect with Sansa. And I feel like that. I feel like she is going to connect with Sansa. I feel like we're going to get a nice moment with everybody. But that was that was definitely how it came off. Patronizing was at the end. Sansa was able to still get under her skin and say, "Look, that's not what we're about here in the North anymore." So, you know, instead of about Danny, that life. And if Danny would have just said, you know, I, I hear you and I appreciate that, and you know, I obviously have different opinions I hear on your it. Concerns. But if she'd have said, but I feel like that's something that is better addressed whenever we see who all still alive after we get done fighting the Night King. So, and I, and I think that would have been an acceptable answer, but she didn't say that. Okay. Well, so, can I answer? Yeah. Can I can I answer to that back? So. So I think everybody brought up really great points. I myself did not see feel like it was patronizing when when Arya um or excuse me, I'm sorry, when Danny touched Sansa's hand and she was she was I mean, I've done that before when I'm either consoling a friend or when I'm trying to, you know, really kind of focus a friend or whatever the case may be. I don't mean it in that way. I think women are just more tactile and um and and just to to say this, and again, I'm sure people who hate Danny are gonna hate me for this comment. You know, Danny, while that she's been with Masande, she hasn't had a family. 
she her brother was an awful person and then he ended up dying um she's in love with this guy named john snow who she never knew that or she never thought that she would ever find love again because let's face it she just really didn't she was she always she i mean she pushed that other guy away because she said well i'm gonna have to marry you know and it's not gonna be for love it's gonna be for you know for, to win the, the, the Game of Thrones. And um, and now she's finding herself in this position where obviously John cares about his sisters, his two sisters. And I think that she genuinely was trying to reach out. She just she just doesn't know how to do it because she hasn't really been taught. So can we really be mad at her? Because, like, bitch, yeah. read a fucking room. No, she really literally doesn't know read a room because she really hasn't been taught everybody's been kind of catering around and her, her hand the hand of, the hand of the queen has been a, a bumbling idiot for two seasons now so well exactly and i hate, so, I hate to say so that I about just, Tyrion, but he has yeah and then she addresses that as well in an in a you know scene before that but i i really just don't want to harp on either sansa or danny as like Hey, you know, they're, they're fucking this, this up. But, you know, as someone who was in the military and was in, and, you know, in, in two operations, um, you know what, whatever fucking pettiness or ugliness that you had before that, after the event happens, whether it be a war or a battle or whatever the case may be, that just doesn't even fucking matter anymore. So I guarantee you that we're talking about this scene that happened, but after whatever happens in next episode, it's not going to even matter anymore. Um, Let's not talk about this anymore. Let's talk about Theon and and Sansa because that was a very, very, very emotional scene, and I was not expected. I I was not expecting to be caught off. Like like I I genuinely got teared up. Like you know. Theon's been on this redemption arc, obviously. We could say that about Jamie and a lot of other characters, but Theon has super been on this redemption arc. He took Winterfell from Bran, and he even mentions it in this episode that he's going to guard Bran from the Night King for as long as he can. He's basically going to be a meat shield. He's throwing himself in front of death to protect Bran, and he knows he's going to die. But the fact that he came to Winterfell, bowed to Danny and then looked at Sansa, looked at Sansa and said, I want to fight for, for Winterfell, Lady Stark. That moment got me straight up in the feels. Corey Smith, how did you take it? Yeah, same way. Um, and I think we knew Sansa, I, we knew Dion was coming to, to Winterfell, but I don't know, for some reason I didn't, the, the reunion between Sansa and Theon didn't click for me. I don't, you know, ahead of time. So I guess it was sort of a surprise and maybe that was where kind of the power of the moment came. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that moment. Um, you know, obviously Theon has gone through hell and back and him saying he wants to fight for the Starks is, you know, he made that decision back at the end of season seven. Um, he wanted to rescue his sister, but he also wanted to go fight for the Starks because he feels like that's his family and that's where he needs to be. Um, so yeah, I mean that hug and, and Sansa's reaction, I mean, she, you know, she was basically in tears and that was kind of the strongest reaction we've seen her have 
um, with almost any of her reunions. Since she hugged John in season six. Yeah, I mean, so Bran, Arya, you know, even when John came back just now, I mean, that was a really strong reaction, and and Sophie Turner did a really really great job, as did Alfie Allen, um, in that scene. So I loved it. It was a great great scene. Bone, um, you uh, you you had a great some some great comments about the last time Senza and. Beyond were together, like the Thelma and Louise jump off of Winterfell's walls. That was some great stuff. But uh what does this rank up there in reunions for you? Like it like I, I again I just want to reiterate, this caught me off guard and I was genuinely in tears. I, I was also caught off guard because I honest honestly had forgotten a lot of what happened with those two characters. You know, Theon's you know, darkest days, I guess you'd say, were, were many years ago now for us. And, and honestly, you know, Sansa being with Ramsey, or that's not maybe their best way to phrase it, but Ramsey oh. having Sansa, you know, in his castle was also feels like a long time ago and a lot has happened between now and then. And I just kind of, uh, forgot like what they've been through together how much Theon had changed, you know, and, and gone through and, and saving Sansa and, you know, God, it, it really was a really emotional moment and I was not prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody was. I mean, you talk- that's what I'm saying. I, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't click that we were going to have that moment. We knew it was coming, right? I mean, we yeah. saw him, we saw him last episode say, I'm going to Winterfell. So I don't know. Maybe it was all the other stuff that was going on in this episode, but this one really. Honestly, do you know what it was? And, and unless I'm misremembering the order the episode happened, but we had a shitload of reunions in episode one, and they were like, "Hey, this person, this person, high five next," and they just went to the next one. And then for <laughs> some reason, with Sansa and Theon, they slowed it so down. And really let you remember just what all they've been through together at the hands of the same person and their escape and their survival and everything. And it's, and the reason I did that is so Danny could be there and to see that, but also for us. And cause it was kind of, a, I, I'm almost a hundred percent positive it's going to be a farewell to Theon. But anyway, oh, it yeah, is, absolutely. it is, it, that's, and, and Smith, you're the one who remembers things in order better than maybe anyone was that. Was that before or after Tyrion and Jamie talked? Fuck. Uh, okay. Well, regardless, no, it, was, it was after. It was, it was after. after. It was, was it after? after. Okay. So maybe it was the second reunion, but it was the first one that I really feel like they. Well, because even at the Tyrion and Jamie one, they had like like Davis or the guy spitting off the balcony. So like this was the first one of the whole season where they were like, hey, just real quick, pump the brakes. Yeah, but even <laughs> Tyrion, but even Tyrion and Jamie had seen each other just in the true last season, season finale. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, again, yeah. I, I don't know, I don't know why they chose this one to be the one to slow it down, but they did such a great job with this scene. Uh, all I the just, people in it is just so good. I also wonder. I mean, it it also kind of struck me that maybe they're they're really trying to hammer home just. You know, I don't know if they're really trying to to do it or not, but 
if they're trying to show us the difference between Sansa, the way Sansa rules and her advisors versus the way Danny rules and hers, I think they're really hammering home just how much the people that follow Sansa really love her as opposed to, you know, other than Jorah, you know what I mean? Like Var, like why is Varus there? I mean, he just, you know, he's there. And Tyrion, I mean, they both think that she, that Danny will make a good queen, but they're not necessarily there out of any personal investment. Well, right? outside of yeah, Masande so, and Jorah, so that's what I, I was about to say Masande, Grey Worm, yes, Jorah. Got- I mean, all of those people are there, and even the Dothraki. Because I'm going to tell you, those Dothraki. If I was, if if my queen told me we're going to go up north, I'm going to be like, Nah, bitch, we ain't going north. Because I just, I'm a tropical kind of girl. I ain't going to do that. I don't wear shirts. I mean, yeah, sorry, it's my nipples get hard. Uh, so you know, I'm just saying that I really feel like that we're discounting Danny and all the things that she's done um, and, and the way that people care about her, uh, maybe because, you know, they're not main characters in this, in this show or whatever, but don't, don't count out all the things that Danny has done. I'm not. I'm saying, I think you're missing what he's saying though. Yeah, yeah. Here's, I'm well, not saying what, that they don't, that she doesn't have them. I just feel like the show was trying to sh- tell us that. Yeah, like, they showed, they made a point to show Daenerys' face as she watched Sansa yes. and Jon hug, right. embrace. And, and she also mentioned about Brienne. I wish I had somebody that I could trust like Brienne. Yeah. And, so and th- this, I guess that's what I'm time, saying. Yeah, this whole time, Danny and Danny mentioned it when talking to Sansa. And, again, I'm a, I'm a Danny supporter. I've always been a Targaryen loyalist. I've always, like, I love the Starks, but after the Starks, I'm a Targaryen loyalist. I would... I've always wanted Danny to sit on the Iron Throne. I'm getting a little annoyed with the one-track mind bullshit, but that's because she's being written that way. That's not her as a character. And what's being well, so now like, hang on, that is that is her character. She's being written that way. This scene, I think well, the problem. This, hang on, the problem is, and I talked about this in the, the description for the, in my Game of Thrones for the first episode and a lot of people took issue with it. And I'm sorry that I'm so right. And they don't want to accept it is that (laughs) the writing, the characters that they have delivered to us so far up until this episode, and even still some in this episode, but the characters of especially Sansa and Danny and Sansa more than anyone, the characters that they're telling us that they are having other characters around them, explaining how, how smart or effective or good or whatever they are. And the characters they have written are two different things, to to at least to some extent. And you have to, whenever you start talking about, well, it doesn't make any sense for, you know, this character to, for like Danny to put her hand, like putting her hand on Sansing and trying to bond like that comes off as patronizing to to David and somewhat to me and everything else because like we know Danny's true, like why she's going down there. But in the show world kind of seems like they were like no they were actually bonding this is really great and and then she pulled away just because and it's like yeah but uh, you know there there's what they thought that they explained on screen and what they actually have sometimes are two different things and the characters that are suffering the most from that right now are number one sansa number two danny number three Tyrion. and you know this was a 
excellent episode for Tyrion and Sansa. So Danny wanna, is the one coming that. off looking bad. So I, I, I want at this point I'm wondering if it's on purpose or not with Danny. I want to talk about that really quick. Let's talk about um, the fact that last podcast you said you felt like um, we're being told that Sansa is the smartest person that we've ever met, right? Like we're all being told all of a sudden that Sansa is the smartest person in the world. Nobody's smarter. She she hires all the smartest people, the best people, like all that kind of stuff, right? We're being told that. But this episode really showed that she is that person, right? No. She does she does inspire loyalty. Theon left his sister, came to came up north to fight for Sansa. John brought his brought went up, went to Dragonstone turned over his crown and brought an invading army to the north to fight for the north so his family could have a home, so the living could live and the dead would be defeated. Like, Danny's finally seeing this now. That And maybe this is a great lesson okay. for Daenerys. All right, I've, I've got to jump in. I'm sorry. I, I just got to say, the, and I know I'm talking a bunch, and I'll shut up after this, but I, I think the, lot, the, the easiest explanation for that is that finally, finally, Sansa is in her element. She is in Winterfell with her family and friends around her and is not beholden to anybody except for Danny and Danny's mind. Whereas da- Daenerys is now completely 100% out of her element. She is yep. no longer dealing with slavers. She's no longer dealing with Essos. She's in Westeros, a place she has never been before. She feels like a fish out of water, and it's not going the way that her brother, the only other person who had or that had ever really trained her on any type of diplomacy or anything, and he was a twat, so he was bad at it. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, Jorah, who got kicked out of Westeros and is banished and disgraced, or, I mean, I guess Barristan Selmy for a little bit, but in the show, he really wasn't that big of an influence when it's all said and done. So, like, she doesn't – everything she imagined it to be like is not it. And she's looking around and seeing all these people that have such dedication to the Starks and is wondering, you know, how am I going to penetrate that and get the same sort of support or whatever. Like, it's – she's totally out of her element and – they are show they are doing a good job showing that what they're not what we're not seeing is the smart Danny that was out of her element in the Dothraki horde that ended up eating a heart and becoming their queen or the one that had the dragons that you know tricked the slavers and and got the unsullied like she is smarter than this i'm not saying that there wouldn't be a learning curve coming to Westeros but this seems ridiculous that she well, hasn't picked up thing. on the tone of the room. Yeah, and I think that that's – no, and I, I want to piggyback off what you said and say that, you know, it's it's also kind of the whole thing with Tyrion too, that, like, how is he so – how are these things getting, you know, over his head um, where he's being tricked? And, and it just really kind of seems silly and almost kind of like – Really, this is this is where you're going to this is where you're going to fall here in, in your trap um, is that you're you're going to fall for the shit that your sister does. Come on. Um, so I completely agree. But again, I, I don't I mean, while I love the fact that, you know, people are equating that he came back for uh, Tyrion and uh, not Tyrion. Sorry. Um, 
shit, who did we start out with? I'm sorry. Theon. At Theon. Theon came back for Sansa? No. He came back to right the wrongs that he did to that entire family. Nice point. So, so let's let's be very fucking clear about that. Um, is that he was he came back to Winterfell to right the wrongs to the family that took him in. Uh, granted, you know he was actually given to him as a prize to the to the Starks, but that family took him in, and the, he had a the things that he did had a direct relation to the death of people that he lived with, that he loved, and all of that stuff. So I, I I really want to be clear about that is that he he didn't just come back for Sansa. I I will say that their shared um torture, their shared, you know, things that happened um there's there's a there's there's something there that no one else will ever have because no one else was there um when that torture was happening, but Let's get it straight. And Theon came back because he wants to, you know, right the wrongs that he has done. And and I would put him in the second of as far as redemption arc. Uh, first one being Jamie, then Theon after that. Okay, let's let's lead into. Uh, we're gonna jump around a little bit. We might get a little bit of out of order here, but keeping on the Theon track, let's go to the big battle plan they had that night. Uh, before we get there, we did have the reunion of. Ed and John, um, uh, we have uh, Sam and John and Ed together. That's a Night's Watch reunion. And um, we also have uh, Tormund tackling John and then the barrack. So we had a nice little reunion moment there, and then they find out that the dead are coming, and it's about, it's about, to, be, uh, it's about to be lights out, right? So um, let's talk really quick about battle plan uh how how it went down like everybody saw the silver tiles on the table surrounding Winterfell. Uh, Corey Thone, um, first of all, I just don't like. I, I know that there's going to be a way out next episode, but it looked like at that uh that fucking battle plan that it looked dire, dire consequences. Are, ha- are going to about to happen to the defenders of Winterfell? Yeah, they uh, they're outnumbered ten to one, maybe eight to one in that range, and their enemy is uh, it's a lot like the battle droids in Star Wars, <laughs> where they <laughs> Roger they, Roger yeah right, yeah just way less funny. They but no seriously, the, the battle droids were not you know the best. They were cheap to make and. They were designed to uh, to overwhelm you, and that's what this army is eventually going to do. There's absolutely 100% no way that they're going to be able to completely curb you know this army. Um, they're gonna they're gonna break through the the front lines. They're gonna they'll probably just stack on top of each other and go over the wall, you know, starship trooper style. Like this is this is a a, a force. Yeah, man, I'm all over the place. Our references tonight. This World is a War force. Z? That's right. Ugh, that, no. I was gonna say that World no. War Z. No, if we're gonna do stack like climbing body over walls, we're doing Starship Troopers, which is a seminal classic and one of the best meta commentaries on the Middle East in the history of movies. Would you so, like to know more? I would. <laughs> so there's 
there is going to it's, it's going actor. to the thing that cracked me the most is seeing these trebuchets and and catapults and it's like what are you what are you gonna do with that <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what is the tiny <laughs> so well the catapults are always the trebuchets were the bigger ones but, yeah, but they look literally so small well you know i'm not gonna go there but there's there's lots of i mean lots of the purpose of those are like you know defense i guess i just don't understand the point of them being out in front of the wall like in front yeah, of the I mean, walls of, in his tier, they had at least the sense to have them <laughs> within the walls and they were much larger so and catapults yeah. are catapults are easier to move they're siege weapons where okay i'm stopping but still like it's i am just and david's right and then the rest of you guys will get into it too there is such a huge, overwhelming, like, number of them coming, and it's not going to go well. Yeah, you have to remember, he's, okay, so we don't know for sure that Night King's even with his army at this point, because he's got Viserion, right? So he could literally be anywhere. Um, we, what we do know is, at the end of the episode, again, we're jumping around, there were a fuck ton of White Walkers. This is the first time we've ever seen this many White Walkers together, ever, in the history of the show. So, and we also know that to kill a White Walker means to kill however many Whites, I guess, the White Walkers themselves turned. I, I'm not really sure exactly if that was explained very well in Season 7. I'm assuming that, like vampires, if you kill the head vampire, all of its little sub-vampires, like on True Blood, they all die, right? But, uh, Lost Boys. I was watching Lost that last night. Boys. Shout out to Lost Boys. Go. With Great. the two Corys. Great Ooh, callback. Full circle. Uh, mm. Anyways. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, if I was the Night King, I wouldn't even be at the battle. Because uh, what what would be the point? I mean, you've got the numbers. You've got, uh, you know, you've got giants. You've got, obviously, like, I don't know, it looked like a couple dozen white walkers. Um you know, I wouldn't even be there because, yeah, like if they take him out, then the whole plan fails. So why even risk it? You know. Um, and then the flip side, if I'm if I'm in Winterfell, I'm not even bothering shooting at the Whites. All I'm shooting at are the White Walkers, right? Right, right, right. I mean, because even if you don't get the Night King, obviously we saw in season seven, you're gonna kill a White Walker. You're gonna take down more Whites then you would, you know what I mean, like just time saving, you know, if you want to save some time, go for the White Walkers. You're going to kill more Whites that way. Um, than can you just, can you crush a White Walker with a boulder and actually kill the White Walker, though? See, that's a good point. I don't know. And that's, they're going to set them on fire. Obviously, those boulders are going to be lit on fire. They're not just going to hurl oh, them. Oh, okay, okay. Right, I mean, right. my, my thought was they're not going to maybe necessarily hurl actual boulders, but maybe just hurl... Shards of, of dragon glass, yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. Or, or at least something that explodes with dragon glass. You know what I mean? Because so yeah, pipe bombs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, medieval <laughs> pipe bombs. Um, because Mol- yeah, I mean Molotov cocktails. Right, because one rock isn't going to do as much as yeah. Because I mean, because dragon glass also kills the whites. So even if you just hit whites, you're still, you know, theoretically doing something good. So yeah, but yeah, I mean. You look at that map, you're just like, holy fuck, they're so screwed. Little Liana Mormont's the only buddy, only person who's going to be inside the castle, um, and everybody else is outside, and they're all screwed. Yeah, they made a point to show 
Bear Island's marker inside the castle. So I'm guessing Liana and her men are the fallback position. Like if the whites get over the walls, then House yeah. Fremont. And also, it's it's funny because that their little marker was like gigantic, and we know that Bear Island only has like sixty men or whatever it was. Like twelve, because after yeah. the Bounce Bastards, let's be honest, there's like twelve right. left. Right, there's only a couple of those guys left, but they gave them like the biggest marker on the board. Um, so I thought that was hilarious. And then that one blank marker, I assume, is the Ironborn, the one that was by the Godswood. Um, yeah, Mr. Walken didn't have time to paint a squid on it because the yeah. Right, and that's what I assumed, but it was a blank tile. Um, but yeah, and it, and if you set aside the, the, you know, the geography and the plans and everything, you know, there were some cool moments in there, especially when Bran sort of explains what the Night King's plan is for the first time, really. Yes, let's talk about this. Let's get into this. Continue. So, you know, he, he explains that the Night King is most likely going to be coming for him. And that his his plan or his wish or whatever you want to call it is he wants to have an endless night and he wants to destroy all of humanity. Um, and that he's been trying to do it for centuries now. Um, and, you know, they Bran talks about how he's been trying to kill the three eyed raven for, you know, hundreds of years. He just hasn't ever been able to do it. Um, and, and that for was, the first time, we we learned that there was more than just one other three-eyed raven. Right. Which we, you know, when you think back on it, makes perfect sense. Like who taught, you know, the guy who taught Bran the old three-eyed raven? Like somebody, you know, that had to have started somewhere. I'm so, gonna honestly tell you, I always thought it was the, just the children of the forest were like, hey, look, you're yeah, but, Brendan Rivers. We're gonna give you all of our knowledge. And and I guess I I mean I just I think it was one of those things we never really just thought about, but when you look back on it, it makes perfect sense that they would be trying to pass down their knowledge um, to someone, and that the Night King would have been trying to kill him this whole time. So, you know, good on Bran for letting that happen the first time ever, because he was surfing, you know, the Weirwood internet um, back in season three. And got a virus. And got a virus. Um, But yeah, I like that little explanation. I don't know, it, it wasn't like super detailed. Um, but I kind of dig it. I don't necessarily want a super detailed one. Um, I mean, maybe they could have explained it a little bit more and explained that, you know, maybe the Night King feels betrayed by the children of the forest or something like that. But I, I don't think you have to give them a super. I don't think you have to. And I was going to ask Isis this because we haven't heard from you in a little bit, Isis. But, um, this was a huge revelation for us because since episode one, Season one, the opening moments of, of, of the series, we've seen that White Walkers are a threat and they've always been on the border, the edge of, of our, our Game of Thrones reality. They've always been a threat, but up until last season when they broke through the wall, they weren't that big of a threat and we didn't really know why the fuck they were trying to get through the wall in the first place. So this was a huge revelation for Bran to say, he wants to kill, he wants to have a, a night that lasts forever. He wants to kill the three-eyed raven and wipe out all memory of mankind. That, how did you feel about that? Well, I mean, I think that it makes sense because the only way that he can make his reign spread is that 
all of the other people are gone. It, I mean, it, it's almost like a like an alien apocalypse. It, it, it's what is it? Is in it's Independence Day, y'all? Uh, but oh you know, shit! I know we're just doing all kinds of reference today, aren't we? But no, I mean, it totally makes sense that. He he wants to he wants to sit on the Iron Throne where the living is they're not not around and um, and he's the only you know the one that is the the top person so I mean it's not just the living people who are are really trying to rule the world I mean he he wants a he I mean he literally wants a chance at the Iron Throne um, and right now he's definitely the fucking front run, front runner. I would say so, yeah. And okay, so let's let's move on from the battle plans because they had everybody had their say. We already know that Theon, his redemption arc is to defend Bran because, and I, and I really like the moment where he said, "I took this castle from you, and I want to defend you." But like, basically, I'm sorry. If you guys go back and watch season two when Theon comes back to Winterfell and he chops off Sir Roderick's head, and Bran is there going. He's like screaming and begging Theon not to kill Sir Roderick. Remember that, you guys? That was a very poignant moment in Bran's life. And now Bran's like able to forgive him because he's a three-eyed raven. And the guy who killed Sir Roderick is now going to defend him. And it's just a really nice, beautiful so, – I mean, Theon's dead, obviously. Like he's just the walking dead, basically. So let's just go ahead and say that. But – um. Let's talk about a few other moments in this episode because we are really running long right now. But um, I said, since I've got you right now, how did you feel about uh, Shireen 2.0 in Davos? Oh, no. I mean, it, you know, is, is Davos every man like he he does everything that they ask, you know, he, it, you know, rallies the troops. He, you know, goes and, and gets people together and he will even ladle fucking soup for people. But uh, I bet it had onions in it, too. It probably did. And, and I but I, again, I mean, that's Davos has always had a soft spot in his heart um, for and this sounds bad, but for young girls, um, you know, just because for, for the I think, little ones. Yes, for the wee little ones, um, just because, I mean, he, he I'm going to say a Whitney Houston thing, he believes in their future. And um, and so anyway, I really believe that um, he really was looking at Shireen that way. Um, I really enjoyed the moment that Gilly and him had um, because it was really kind of touching that she found kind of a partner, if you will, in this. Because, I mean, if anything, the only people that she really interacts is with Sam. Um, so it was really nice to see her interact uh, with uh, with him. And they have a moment of working together to, you know, basically kind of corral this child and um, and get her down into well, the cliff. You have to remember something. Um, Shireen taught both Davos and Gilly how to read. So... That little girl with the mark on her face, being all brave and say she saying she wants to uh, defend the defend the crypts. Which, by the way, the crypts are going to get totally overrun, and that little girl is going to die, and we're all going to cry about it. But it was very it was a touching moment because Davos and Gilly got to share that moment. Like, yeah, like she gave Davos that look. Yes, I know who she reminds you of. 
go. I'll 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 ladle the soup. You go cry, blow your nose, and come back when you're ready. Um, Corey Phone, uh, we had the return of a much beloved character in this episode, and nobody fucking paid attention to him. What the fuck is up with Ghost? Who? Exactly. Thank you very much. Ghost- oh, you mean the big dog thing? Yes, of course. Oh, it's like a dog. Yeah, that the dog was back. That was sweet. It's like a what is that? Like a what do they call those big uh, white Malamute or whatever? Like, oh, it's cute. Dire wolf. <laughs> I, I, I hate you so much right now. Oh. No, I noticed Ghost. That they- I noticed Ghost was standing there like a good boy. And, uh, you know, just doing a heckin' good job guarding the wall there. But, uh, again, he didn't do Jack. I do think, personally, that there's going to be some wolf action in the next episode, but that's just me. Yeah, I think we're going to get Ghost, and I really hope, and this is the fanboy in me, that Nymeria and her wolf pack show up. But that's for I a hope. I hope Kevin Nash and his wolf pack show up. Oh, all right. Um, I don't know what that else? means. Nice. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got yep. a little carried away there. All right. Um, What else do we need to talk about, Corey Smith? Because we're way out in the weeds right now. Oh, the uh, fire scene. Yeah, I mean, let's just close out with, well, we got the fire scene and then obviously Jan. Uh, Jan. John and Danny, um, Jan, finally. fuck Danny. Yeah, Jenny. so, but let's hit the fire scene first because that scene was fucking highlight reel for the series for me. And not just because of, um, you know, Brian's nighting scene that we already talked about, but just in general, it was great to see all these different characters, um, gathered around the fire, just kind of waiting for shit to go down. And kind of seeing how they all sort of connected. Not every one of them had a relationship directly with one another, but they all sort of had a, had a link one way or another to each other. And that was, you know, that was a lot of fun to see. Um, for me, I think maybe Tormund was, was the highlight of the, of the whole conversation. Um, you know, he's the only wildling there. So he doesn't, he's, he's still kind of, outside that group, right? Um, because the rest of them grew up in the Seven Kingdoms. They have the same traditions right. and customs, and he's just like, you know, his whole thing about, you know, first of all, him mad, like, strutting for Brienne was freaking hilarious the entire episode, right? He shows up. First of all, he shows up at Winterfell. Hey, we're all about to die. Is the big woman still here? <laughs> like, and... And, and just nailed that line. Or even when he like, he like manhugged John and, uh, you know, Sam's standing in the background like, holy shit. Um, you know, and then later when he's, you know, when they start talking about, um, Brienne being knighted, he's like, why the fuck not? Like, I don't understand. Like, you're obviously the most badass warrior, you know, I've ever seen. And so why wouldn't you be a knight? You know what I mean? Like, He's like, fuck tradition. Like, I don't care. You know, I, I just love his off the cuff comments and how some of their traditions just don't make any sense. 
when you look at them from outside of their, you know, the, the world of the seven kingdoms. So I love that. I love the entire scene. Oh, God, you pulled it oh, off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did that happen again? I saw, I apologize. <laughs> First of all, that's new world order, uh, black music. Yeah. That's not the wolf pack music. Um, just I couldn't actually the wolf pack in time. Okay. Well, actually, um, and my final, I just love the, my final little moment that I loved was, uh, Brienne's telling, trying to tell Podrick he, he could have half a cup of wine and Tyrion basically, oh, you know, that little moment when he overflowed the cup and, you know, they looked at one another and had that, you know, Pod and Tyrion had that little look. I just love small moments like that. And I feel like, I feel like that's what we were missing from the first episode is that we, we got the conversations, but we still had the small interactions past the conversations that reminded us how much these characters share with one another. Before we get to uh, Janny, let's talk about um, the song. We talked about it at the opening of the podcast. I'm not going to book out on you guys, but I do want to talk about how fucking hauntingly beautiful it was. Like, we've had probably two other songs on the show that really mean anything, and only, and of those two, only one gets played regularly. Like the reigns, the reigns of Castamere, right? Like that, that song. Anytime anything bad happens, cue the reigns of Castamere, right? And then, of course, another original was the Hands of Gold that was sang by Ed Sheeran, whatever the fuck his name is. But that was that was last season. It didn't go over very well. A lot of people kind of looked it up. They weren't really interested in it, but. Benioff and Weiss really went all in for Jenny of Old Stones. Um, Daniel Portman's voice is amazing, and he and during the interview about the song, he's like, "I had to sit, I had to drink a lot of herbal tea and and and, and get my voice ready because I had to sing an octave higher than I'm usually than I usually sing it at." And um, and then of course they brought back. Florence and, and and the machine, right? Am I saying that right? Florence and the machine. I always get it wrong when I tell people that that's the name yeah. of the band. But Florence and the machine, who sang Seven Devils for the Game of Thrones season two trailer, which is arguably one of the best trailers for the series. Um, uh, so they brought them back or brought her back to sing a kind of a Gaelic version of Jenny of Oldstones, and it. George R. R. Martin kind of wrote that a little bit of that in the books, but they obviously finished it on the show, and it was just kind of fucking beautiful. Isis, how did you feel about it? it was did it did it did it move you? Did it did you did you get teary eyed because it showed a lot of people saying goodbye basically to each other or having moments of the calm before the storm. Um, Sansa and Theon once again, like Sansa's outside eating with the common people looking at Theon, and Theon gives her that little smile. Like, it was just so fucking touching. And then Sam in bed with baby Sam and Gilly. All these great moments that lead us into our final topic. But how did you feel about it? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was really great. Um, I know that this was really, I mean, I think most people can agree that um, this this was definitely a nod as far as to book readers. Um, you know, show watchers, 
would not have any perspective of this, but uh, of course our our book readers made sure that we knew what the hell what was happening. Um, but I don't really even think that we needed to know the story behind it. I think that the song um, that was, you know, the the lyrics of it were so haunting. The moments that we've kind of been building throughout the entire episode kind of crescendoed um, into this epi- into this moment. And the the moments that where people were with the people that probably meant the most to them, um, that's who were they were with. Um, and and I really really appreciated that. Um, I, I have to say that Pod's voice, oh my God, did not know he had that in him. Again, the guy's got the rod and he's got the pipes. Holy shit, he's like the whole, and he can fight. He's like the whole package, man. Um, I, I'm actually very sad that he's going to die. Uh, but it, it, again, and if he does die in the next episode, just to heighten that whole thing of, oh, man, we love him. He's great. And he now he's dead. Um, so, you know, I, I really felt like it was very poignant. Um Again, I, I think it was really the the moment that was needed at the very end to get us ready for the carnage that is going to happen in the next episode. Um, really kind yeah. of tied it up really well in a bow. Um, again, the people that they, they were really truly there with the people that either related to them, understood them, loved. They were there with the people they loved the most, like the lyrics in the song. And that, that's what was really great. And uh, I'm going to call it now. If next, the next episode doesn't end with um, Undead Pod dragging his corpse up to King's Landing with the rest of the undead, and we, it plays us off with, with Daniel Portman singing Jenny of Old Stones, then I'm quitting this show. No, I'm kidding. I'm not, I really wouldn't do that. I always threaten it, but I don't. But anyway, this leads us to our final topic tonight, Danny and John in the Crips. Phone, I want to get your thoughts on this, but I want to lead us up to it. Danny obviously had heard stories about Rhaegar. She thought, I mean, Barristan had told her he was a kind person, a gentle soul. He sang songs, played his harp, gave to the poor. But there was always this negative story that he raped Lyanna Stark. And then when John's like, he actually didn't. They loved each other. They were married. My problem with this scene is what they've been doing. Like we talked about this earlier. Danny's first reaction was, oh, you trust your brother and your friend, so the story comes from your brother and your friend, and you want me to believe it? And then John's like, yeah, and he calls her Danny to get her attention. Like, he, he brings her back from the edge, right? Because only the people that are closest to her call her Danny, right? So he, Danny, and she gets, she comes back to and they're looking at each other, and then she's like, if this is really true, then you're the last male heir of House Targaryen, and you have a claim to the Iron Throne, and they look at each other for about three or four beats before the Three Horns blast, and we're brought to the White Walkers. But walk me through those beats, right? Like, I took it at first, when I first watched it, my first interpretation was, every time John is offered leadership, whether it's the Lord Commander, whether it's the King of the North, he always says, I never wanted this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want it. It's not important. You have to kill the dead. And then she says, you're the last male heir of House Targaryen and have a claim to the Iron Throne. It comes out of her mouth, and he, for, for about three beats, he doesn't say a goddamn thing. And I first took it like, 
is that John actually thinking about taking the Iron Throne for the first time ever in his life? Or was this, and Dan and I talked about this today, was this John going, I just told you that I'm Aegon Targaryen, and we're related, and all you can think about is who gets the Iron Throne. How did you interpret that? The second one. <laughs> I think he was disappointed in Danny. Uh, I think that that was, uh, that was a moment where he was telling her something, you know, that he took it as this huge bombshell about, like, his dad, his real dad, his real mom, all that jazz. And Danny took it as, again, something that could stand between her and the Iron Throne and forgot the humanity aspect of it with John. And it's become her biggest character flaw is that she can't because because she is as it is right now, her big note is the Iron Throne. She can't move past it. And I think it made John sad. I think glaring at this point. Well, I don't know if he was mad. I think he was sad. And I think he uh, was was sad that that's all she could think about because in his mind, not only did it, you know, completely change everything he'd ever known about Ned, just like for her, it should change everything she'd ever known about, you know, Aegon or what? Wait, no, right, right whatever Rhaegar. his name is, Rhaegar, Barbar, Bar- Bar- the the bad <laughs> bad bad wig man, and uh, <laughs> instead she could only think about you know, how it impacted her plans and not about how it impacts the fact that they're related and have been going to Bone Town consistently since the boat. But whatever that moment was, we saw her walls go back up, right? Right. And they they went up to protect herself because of, you know, she has gotten here and all this stuff. And and she's 100% justified to have those walls because she's been, you know, used and traded and she's fought and and been a survivor to get to this point. And I think that it disappointed John and it disappointed us as viewers that that's how she immediately took it. But it's also not not understandable for her to say, oh, so your brother and best friend are saying, oh, John should be king. It's like, oh, ha ha. You know, like that's, I think, somewhat reasonable reaction. But, yeah, the the, the fact is this, this is the thing. John may not be Ned's son, but that was some Ned shit to say that right before the horns go off and then not get to talk about it again till after the battle. So <laughs> we'll talk about it when I see you next. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> the White Walkers are there. They're more there than they we've ever seen. They don't know if the Night King's there, but the dead are there and shit is about to go down. Corythone, carry me through you just carried me through Danny's spots. Where would you rank this episode? Grade it for me. Like on an A to F scale? Top 10, top 5, oh, A to B, oh. A to C, 1, 2, 3. It was an A-plus episode overall. Uh, they they had a lot of characters who were, you know, hadn't been used in a while. There was a lot of development within these small pockets. They did a great job. of. I mean, just if you imagine like the best episodes back you know, in seasons past, you would have a really great scene in Marine and then a great scene in Dorne. Just kidding. And then a great scene. <laughs> you had a good scene in King's Landing and then you'd have a great scene in like 
Winterfell or the Wall or whatever, you know, or you know, with Rob on the battlefields and everything, blah blah blah. Like you would have these moments; they were all over the map, but they were all moments. Well, this was the same concept, except they were all in Winterfell, just different places. But you still got these moments where they just set the characters down, and for the first time this season, just said, "Hey, here's a five-minute scene." with four or five characters talking and it's going to really add some much needed levity to the series right now. And also, you know, strengthen the reasons why you're still watching and you care about these characters. So it was, it was an excellent episode to come right before the battle of Winterfell, wherever they're going to end up calling it, because it's going to be real dark. And we're going to look back on this episode as like a great swan song for a lot of characters. I agree. Corey Smith, where would you rank this episode out of the all-time list of your top ten? Where would you rank it? God, I mean, I hate to, I always hate to rank an episode right after it airs um, because I feel like you, you kind of get wrapped up in, in some emotions. It's called recency bias. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, anyways, uh if it's not in the top ten, it's it's got to be like freaking number eleven. Um, it was like it was an A plus to me. I think we we said it earlier. It was the best episode since season six, and might even be better than any of the episodes there. Um, I mean, it was just a phenomenal episode. And like I was saying last week, not you know we we didn't start watching this show for the battle scenes. We started watching it for the relationships between the characters, and that's what this episode did um, for it. So, so you feel satisfied, then? Yes, and this, and I was even thinking about this. I feel like this even, in a way, makes the previous episode, which I pretty much didn't like, I, I feel like it even makes that episode better because I feel like part of why we enjoyed this one so much was the frustration that we had at last week's episode and that some of the payoffs in this episode, like um, Sansa and Danny's conversation, it wouldn't have been as great of a conversation had they not had the shit moments that they had in the first episode. Right. So right. I, overall I thought it was a fantastic episode. Um, like what Thone said, I think, yeah, um, this isn't going to end. This is going to end up being like a swan song. Um, I think even, uh, Brian Cogman, who, who wrote the, the episode, he said it's a love letter to these characters. Uh, um, he got teared up in the, um, game revealed. He actually got emotional. Yeah. He teared it, up. Yeah. And, and, and I think he, you know, bravo to him for bringing the series back to what we all fell in love with. I mean, cause think about like back in season one, we didn't get any battle scenes in season one, right? Uh, um, right, right. You know, and that's when we fell in love with the with the series. We didn't get there weren't any battle scenes. We had some fights, but there were no battles. Tyrion gets knocked out. Uh, Jamie gets captured off screen at Whispering Wood. Um, so, you know, this episode went back to what we love about the series, and I think that's why we're all talking about it so positively. Is that it went back to its roots and didn't get bogged down with the spectacle. That being said. I'm expecting a hell of a spectacle next week. Um, and I think everybody's anybody who dies next week is going to be even more painful for the 
positive moments that we got in this episode. Isis, if the writer of this episode got emotional and almost broke down into tears when he said this was a love letter to those characters, how do you where do you how do you grade this episode? I give it a uh, a ten. Worth it. Worth Uh, it. Wrap it up because we can't top that shit. Fucking damn. God shit. Isis, you don't even need to say anything anymore. You won the night. Um, no, but yeah, go ahead. No, well, I do, I do want to say that I really enjoyed the episode. To me, it was a love letter. It was fan service. It was everything that I wanted it to be. Um, you know, to me, it was in the top five best episodes ever, um, of Game of Thrones. I, I really, it made up for the, the season premiere in my eyes. I, I seriously, from the rooted to the tuta, top to bottom, this episode um, was great. Whether or not you like some of the things the characters did, um, I, none of it I don't think was very out of character. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the entire thing, and I've watched it already a couple of times because it's that good. So, it's 10. <laughs> well done. I can't really add anything else to what you guys have said. I would rank it in the top 10 for myself. Um, I don't want to talk about all the other episodes. It, either it's ahead of or behind, but it's a great episode. It's I've already watched it about four times. So, for myself, for Isis, who wrapped us up so nicely for, for Corey Bone and Corey Smith, and for all the movie connections we made tonight. This has been Take the Black. Hola, <laughs> Mogulis. <laughs> <laughs>